As two middle-aged dads who run a fish podcast, Dave and myself are both well-bearded men. And because of that, we're constantly on the lookout for great products to groom and trim our beards. And that's why we are so thankful in this trying time for a company like Harry's. Harry's knows that now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. Harry's knows that sometimes it's better to stay inside. That's why they ship razors and gel and product directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home. So we encourage all of our listeners to join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special trier offer by going to harrys.com slash BTP. That's harrys.com slash BTP. So Harry's has really returned to the essential. You get quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. They cut out the middleman, they manufacture their blades in their German blade factory that's been owning precision blades for a century, which means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. It's super convenient because the blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription and you can feel really good about your purchase because they have a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund. And 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations that are devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. And I'll just say that um, my beard's gotten a bit unruly in quarantine. But no matter what, I refuse to have a neck beard. I'm not that lazy. <laughs> I cannot do my neck beard. I gotta have lines. I use Harry's to keep those lines intact. The rest of it gets kind of bushy, but there was gonna be uh, there's a line where the pair will not go, and that's what I'm using Harry's for. Absolutely. So listeners of Beyond the Pond can redeem their Harry's trial set at Harry's.com/btp. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip. Five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. It's a fantastic deal from a fantastic company that can help us out in these difficult times. So go to harrys.com slash BTP to start shaving better today. Hey guys, this is Eric Krasno here. Wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast that I'm putting together with my friends from Osiris. It's called Eric Krasno Plus One. I'll be sitting down with a lot of my favorite musicians and people from the entertainment industry that I've gotten to know over the years. One of the great things about being a touring musician are the people I've met along the way. Some of my favorite memories from the 20 years I've spent on the road are the backstage conversations and hearing my favorite musicians tell their stories. I've gotten to meet many of my heroes and watched many young musicians become legends in their own right. The one constant I've found is that they all have a unique and interesting story to tell. There's a certain bond that just happens between musicians, especially musicians that have been on the road together. I invite you to be a fly on the wall for these conversations. Welcome to Eric Krasno Plus One.
David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. We have a special guest this evening. Show yourself. Hey, it's PJ Rudolph. You are tuned in to episode 97 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself and tonight PJ utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love fish. We are fish fans, especially when we're in quarantine and need comfort food. But sometimes the problem with fish fans, they get a bit myopic. They uh, don't pay attention to the other amazing bands that are out there. And we're trying to use this podcast to do something about it. And we have a doozy of an episode tonight talking about a very amazing band that's not fish. Going deep. Brian, what the hell are we doing tonight? Tonight we are talking about one of the greatest bands of the 1990s, Pavement. One of the lasting artifacts of probably the greatest decade of our entire lives when all is said and done. Life was just so easy breezy. And uh, in a lot of ways, pavement reflects that. And we're also going to talk about uh, kind of the larger themes around the band, their formation, the music that they made, kind of connections that we've made to Fish and what Fish was doing throughout the 90s and has done since then in ways that are both surprising and also make a lot of sense. While also talking a bit about the solo work of Stephen Malcolmus, the lead singer, songwriter, uh, kind of creative engine in a lot of ways of Pavement. So this is a band that um, there's no way that Beyond the Pond exists without both Dave and myself enjoying the music of Pavement and the many offshoots that come from the world of Pavement, including the Silver Jews and David Berman. Um, and we wanted to have PJ on. He's a huge fan of pavement, huge friend of the pod as well. Um, I don't really know if he's a huge guy. I haven't met him in person, but you know, <laughs> he's taller than you and I. He's probably like, he's like six feet. Even. Okay. Okay. Fair, fair, fair. But, uh, we wanted to have PJ on to, uh, dive deep here into pavement, dive deep into the work of Malcolmus. Uh, I've been living in this world like you guys have for the last like 10 to 12 days. And uh, I feel a little bit sloppy, a little bit sardonic. I feel funnier than I think I am, a little bit smarter than I think I am. And, you feel uh, like a slacker? A little bit of a slacker. and uh, Slacking? You know, unexpectedly jammy, which these are all things we're going to talk about. But what are the larger mm. themes that we're going to cover here uh, in this Pretty massive episode. Let's see. Some of the themes that we're going to cover in this pavement deep dive include the quintessential 90s indie rock sound, purposely avoiding the limelight, and deep career reinvention and creativity. And on that note, let's get to some pavement. Before we get started on this journey through the world of pavement and 
Stephen Malcolmus. Why, why should you delve into this? I have no idea how long this episode's going to be at time of recording, but probably longer than normal episode about Pavement, one of the biggest underground bands, one of the most successful underground bands that we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years. I know I have my reasons. Dave, I think you have your reasons. We'll probably share them. But PJ, you are our guest. You know, in this time of COVID-19, it's important to still be polite. Why why would you listen to Pavement? Tell me. So for me, I think, first off, I think Pavement is just an amazing band. They, um, you know, they're quite different from Fish in many, many ways, but also, and I think we'll cover this throughout the episode, um, there's a lot of... Uh, similarities in sort of the career arc that they've had um why do why should someone listen to pavement i think if you like something that sort of has you know that that edge to it but also um you know even just a little bit of heart and some wry humor it, it i just think that they have a lot of different aspects about them and i think a lot of people at times might just take them as one thing or they've been sort of lumped in as this one thing as sort of this, you know, nineties indie band kind of thing. But I feel like there's so much more to them beneath the surface that I think once people really listen to them, um, you start to hear that. And I think it takes a little bit of that, that um, I think they're, they're that type of band that really grows on you too. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that's a really, I think the the depths of the band and the kind of misperceptions around the band are like two areas that are of great interest. I, I know for me, Pavement was like Fish for a long time, just a name and kind of an idea in my head of what uh, kind of more counterculture, but also like this very cool, unknown kind of alternate universe looked like from a musical standpoint. And I know for a long time, I kind of avoided it because there was a while, like as like a middle schooler or like a teenager where I didn't know if I would get it. And then when I first listened to pavement, uh, my first record I heard from them was Wowie Zowie, which was Hmm. in some ways like the perfect introduction because whatever your preconceptions are, whatever you've heard of the band, like, they suddenly could be anything. <laughs> There's no yeah. like way to pin them down. And it gave me a little bit of like, uh, kind of free expressionism, free understanding of like what Malcolmus was trying to do as a songwriter, what the band was able to become and allowed me to kind of, when I finally listened to like crooked rain or sign it and enchanted, um, and saw them live, uh, in 2010, I was able to kind of approach them in a way that had less to do with how the musical press in the nineties had tried to pigeonhole them and more as like this band that really attempted to and tried to play anything, even styles of music that they can't really play. And and that aspect of them has always really fascinated me because that reminds me the most of two of my favorite bands being fish and Yola Tango in a sense that there's, no type of music that's really off limits, even if it's not necessarily their strength. And I, I really like that about them. But how about you, Dave? Um, 
So I have a younger sister. I'm the oldest in my family. So I didn't have any older brothers. And to me, Pavement always kind of felt like your cool, ne'er-do-well older brother that gets you, like, your first Playboy magazine and lets you listen to, like, the Ramones for the first time. They've always been kind of like, I guess the word sardonic keeps coming back, but they're really good songwriters. And Mm -hmm. because of the... They only have five official records, but because of... um the huge B-side collections and several EPs and live bootlegs. You can really dig deep with them, which, of course, being a Fish and Dead fan, I very much appreciate. But in Stephen Malcolmus, I mean, they have a front man who kind of reminds me a little bit of um, like Frank Black from the Pixies, and that while the two bands don't sound anything alike, they both have a very askew view of the world, kind of like a tour guide whose only real interest is like getting you lost. And it kind of bears itself out from um, while he had the main band Pavement, he's really the only member of Pavement to have like a very successful solo career, releasing record after record, just like Frank Black released tons of solo records. I guess the difference right. being that the Pixies are officially back together. I mean, I say with no Kim Deal, no Pixies. That's another podcast for an entirely different time. But I just come back to really excellent songwriting when they want to be. I mean, one of the things at Pavement is that there's also a bit of dross. Sometimes you have to dig a little deep to get to the good stuff, but when it's good, it's extremely good. And they're, uh, they're unique. But certainly the bratty older brother aspect. I think um, I'm 40. I think most of the guys in the band are in their early 50s late 40s so they'd have to be significantly older brothers but that's kind of what gets me with pavement added to the fact that when i was in my formative years watching like 120 minutes on mtv back in 1994 that's when crooked rain crooked rain came out i think we'll talk about that a bit more as we go on but they were kind of seen as the epitome of cool when i was like 13 14 and 15 the point where I could only watch this band on MTV at 12 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night. So to me, that gave me like all the cool points right there. Yeah. I think the older brother analogy is, is really an important one. Cause for me, that was a lot of the reason why I didn't get into fish until I started working at a summer camp and had older counselors around who were like, you've never listened to this. You know, I was 14, 15 years old and pavement was very similar for me in that sense. So, um, may we be the older brothers to some young listener out there who is dying for some new music and we're passing them along to pavement and their whole world is going to open up. Um, yeah. And I, I would agree with that even in just sense that like when I got into them, it was, pretty much right when fish went on hiatus okay. so i was in this like zone of just like really finally branching out and discovering new music beyond kind of you know basically always listening to fish and kind of always being in that fish grateful dead kind of jam band world where i was like oh man there's so much other stuff out there and as much as i was learning about all these bands pavement was the one that sort of I just kept coming back to, and it even became a thing where, you know, my friend who introduced me to him, it was like, we were even doing the thing of like, oh, there was like an EP that came out in between this album and that. I'm like, we got to find that. 
And it became this thing of like, what more is there out there that, that we don't even know about? And it just became that band for us to, to kind of like dig even deeper. And it's the one that of all the musical discoveries I went through, that was the one that just really stuck much in the same way that it did for me when, you know, I first got into fish. So before we jump into like the full album breakdown of pavement, as we love to do here, I think one thing that we felt was important here was kind of setting the table beyond just why you should listen to pavement into where are our connections between fish and pavement. We are a fish podcast at heart, but as you all know, dear listener, 97 episodes in, we are focused on taking the music of fish and branching you out and also connecting artists to the music of fish. Um, and I think that we live and we exist in a world right now. It's quite different from if we were to talk about the band pavement on a fish podcast 10 years ago, I think there's a lot more acceptance and crossover understanding between either fans of both bands or both bands themselves in a lot of ways. Um, PJ, you've done a really great job here kind of breaking down the connections between fish and pavement. Do you want to kind of give us a breakdown of if you are a diehard fish fan and you know absolutely nothing about pavement or vice versa, um, kind of why or where you would see like lines being crossed between the two of them? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I think there's a lot of things when you think about sort of the fish pavement connection, um, as to sort of why someone might be interested in, in exploring more with them. Uh, for one, they're both kind of, I think the ultimate sort of the two ultimate cult bands of the nineties. Um, you know, they sort of came up in that, in that decade together, um, and in sort of parallel ways, I think, you know, Fish, you know, has famously and, and you know, we've all talked about how, um, you know, they sort of eschewed this normal course of what a band would do, which was, you know, they didn't really get on MTV all that much. They weren't really played on the radio all that much. Um, you know, Fish did all the DIY uh, work when it came to festivals. And Pavement was really similar um, in that they, you know, they had chances to sign with bigger labels. They only stayed with indie labels. Um, and they didn't really do much, um, you know, sort of that. Like, uh, they just weren't trying so hard to um, to really make it big and to uh, kind of go that, go that route of, you know, some of the other bands that they were coming up with. Um, Second, there's sort of, uh, you know, there is a little bit of like this mutual admiration between, I think, Trey and Steve Balkmus. I know that one of the first times I ever even heard of the band Pavement was just that, oh, you know, Trey is a big fan of them and has talked about them. Same here. Um, and that, and that, that sort of was like, a, oh, well, if he really likes them and I, I like these other bands that I've heard he liked or, you know, songs that Fish has covered, um, then it's kind of like, a, oh, I should this you know this kind of goes on the list of of uh something i should check out and it turns out um you know fish did end up covering he couldn't stop talking about them i want to say it was 
1997 or 98 where every interview with Trey, he'd just be like, oh my God, have you heard Pavement? That's my new favorite band. That guy yeah, the I, I feel like that was that's right around the time where they were sort of entering my orbit, but I didn't really quite like jump in just then. But yeah, it's the same thing. And then Fish ended up covering Pavement in uh, 99, so July 21st yeah. at Burgettstown. Um, they did end up playing Gold Sounds, which is worth, you know, sort of checking out. It's a very quick cover. Um, and I, you know, in re-listening to it the other day, it's funny because once the song ends, you know, Trey actually, you know, steps up to the mic and says, that's a song by the band Pavement. And I feel like it was one of those where he felt like he had right. to do that <laughs> because everyone else was probably scratching their heads. Uh, you know, probably not enough people in the audience were, uh, were you know, we're familiar with it. I, I listened to it recently and it's, it's a lot better than I remembered it. Same. I was thinking the same thing. They like, and I was thinking about it cause it's yeah, just it's really, really fast. fast. And I mean, I was thinking it's, about it cause I've been watching a lot of live pavement and really impressed by, especially like their 99 tour. There's a lot of jamming and there's, they're really like, they know their whole catalog at that point in time, but it fish does a better job encapsulating the sloppiness of pavement than I recall when I first heard the cover. Um, and I seem to also remember when they covered, um, uh, the, ah, fuck, I'm on the spot right now and I'm totally forgetting in the airplane over the sea. Um, yes. Uh, and Meriwether, hotel. yes, yes, hotel. yes. And at, uh, Meriwether 2010, I think, I think that he had to acknowledge that band as well when they played that song. I feel like whenever they play like an indie rock song that he has to say something to be like, Oh yeah. All you jam band fans out there. This is who I just played. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say that was right. I know. Right. Well, pumpkins. pumpkins. <laughs> um, and I think actually with the whole, you know, kind of getting back to this idea of the connections, um, you know, I think Trey loving Pavement so much is sort of where the the relationship with Bryce Goggin came in too. Right. So Bryce Goggin is a, um, uh, you know, like a producer and kind of studio guy who has basically, you know, recorded or mixed most of the Pavement albums that we'll be talking about. And then later went on, he produced Farmhouse, he produced Round Room, he produced, you know, I think probably at least one or two of the first Trey albums, solo albums as well. Certainly Tab self-titled the yes, first one. Yes, yes. That was, yeah, definitely So I think I, I'm willing to bet that Trey probably, you know, one of the reasons he wanted to bring him in was his connection to pavement and his love right. of pavement so much being like, Oh, let's, let's get this guy in here with us. Um, and then the last one, which I think is kind of cheeky is like a, a little bit of a nod back, I believe is, uh, the first Steve Malkmus solo record. There is a song called Jenny and the S yes dog, which is a very, um, you know, it's the, prototypical Malkmus of just like these wry humor and it's basically sort of the story of a um sort of like hippie high school girl who goes off to college and sort of matures out of that phase of her life but um in the song there's sort of a character or there's a dog that she has and she names her dog Trey which I think is um (laughs) 
I think was fully intentional um, to have this, like, you know, they explain this whole thing in in the song about this, you know, hippie girl um, with toe rings and all this other stuff. And then she's got a, you know, a dog named Trey with a red bandana and all that other stuff. So I think that was a nice little uh, sly little nod back to, uh, you know, from Malkmus back over to, to, to Trey and, and the fish community. Also wanted to mention um, the other, I guess, kind of co-front man of Pavement, the other guy, uh, Scott Cannonberg, Spiral Stairs. His solo project is called Preston School of Industry. And back in 2000, they covered, uh, they recorded a version of Axel Part 2 for the Sharon and the Groot tribute, which was put together by the Mockingbird Foundation back in 2000. Kind of forgotten, but I think it yeah. had like 25,000 copies. It's pretty interesting collection. Like the Japanese noise rock band, the Boredom's covers free. You got Lake yeah. Trout doing Tweezer Reprise. But no one talks about that anymore. But um, I, yeah. That was one of my first fish-related CD purchases. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a dig deep, but that is, yeah. that is absolutely right. I completely forgot about that. You even got Jimmy Buffett playing gumbo. Gumbo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which keeping, I, I feel like we should keep Jimmy Buffett away from a fish pavement podcast, but <laughs> so. What do you um, fish? Brown eyed girl. Was that in like, that was in 1995, the brown eyed girl encore. <laughs> Did you, oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. Oh my God. You're totally right. He's um, like, yeah. <laughs> I think the story is that Buffett's daughter was a big fish fan and so that's how that's that how was the, the connection. Buffett fish connection kind of came came to be. Interesting. Interesting. Uh all right. Well and let's that's the jump. last time we're gonna talk about Buffett and Beyond. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> no. I'm, try, I'm trying to sneak my way out of this conversation as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> um all right, so let's Let's jump into, now we've kind of set the table here. We're going to jump into the chronological discographical journey through pavement. going to run through a, a brief formation history of the band, the origin story. Originally, Pavement was founded by Steve Malcolmus and Scott Cannonberg in Stockton, California. They were uh, childhood friends from various circles and high school bands. They both went off to college after high school. Malcolmus famously went to the University of Virginia. It's where he met uh, Bob Nastanovich and David Berman. DJing at the local college radio station. They love beer, they love records, and just love some general mischief. Birds with a feather flocking together. Um, and Mastanovich would later become kind of a jack of all trades, almost like a mascot member of Pavement, while Berman would be the driving force behind the, the Silver Jews project. 
So eventually they recorded their first EP for only about a thousand dollars at the studio of this older hippie named Gary Young, who would actually go on to become Pavement's first drummer. So initially they recorded an EP that was called Slay Tracks, and they recorded under the pseudonyms SM for Steve Malcolmus and Spiral Stairs for Scott Cannonberg. I think uh, right after this is recorded, Malcolmus goes to Europe to do postgraduate find yourself before you get a real job kind of adventure there's that uh that fish connection right there <laughs> and somehow he uh here's the slay tracks ep playing in a record store in austria even though they only sent about a thousand copies of the record as far as england so kind of uh the seeds had been sown and one guy who eventually picked up this album was a guy living in new york by the name of mark eibold who uh he later became friends with these guys and become pavement's bass player all right, so then through the success of uh, Slay Tracks, they did another EP called Demolition Plot. And, you know, they were basically starting to kind of build a little momentum. There was kind of this underground, you know, cult following that was starting to develop. Um, they end up uh, signing to Matador Records, which is, you know, famously an indie label. Um, but Malkmus is still in New York. Um, Spiral Stairs, uh, Scott Cannonberg is still in California. And so they're kind of only doing this thing, um, you know, recording EPs and such uh, when Malkmus is, is coming home. Um, so they're kind of only just doing this thing on the side, if you will. Um, they record, a, a you know, another EP. Um, and again, uh, they're kind of really showcasing this like noisy post-punk side um but also you know starting to get to writing some like really catchy tunes and i think again like the there's like just this kind of like underground buildup of popularity and and you know things that are coming out and i think also with the whole idea of them uh you know recording under these pseudonyms i think there was a lot of this like mystery of like what this band was because they weren't really going out and playing live and being in front of audiences all that much um and i know we're not necessarily going to cover it but for anyone kind of interested in this period there is a collection um an album called westing uh by musket and sextant um which is basically a collection of all these eps so if you're ever uh you know, going through all this stuff afterwards and feeling like you're, you know, want to get into some of that early, early stuff, there is a really nice collection out there. Um, but this is all kind of building up to their first full album uh, called Slanted and Enchanted. Just, uh, PJ, to your point, I just want to relay um, the really fantastic and sad book about music in life by rob sheffield called love is a mixtape which came out in 2007 it's a book that talks about um him and his life with his uh then wife renee christ who unfortunately had a pulmonary embolism i think age 30 and died there's a uh, pavement was their favorite band and they just talk about how in like around 1991 all these eps were coming out and the eps didn't really have any liner notes there were no photos of the band like no one knew what the hell they looked like Right. So when they went and saw Pavement for the first time with uh, the band Royal Trucks, and I think like late 1991, they were surprised after these like good-looking suburban kids. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I guess it, it should also be noted. So in the time when they were in New York City, you know, Malkmus uh, was basically working as a security guard at the Whitney Museum. So it was him and David Berman, and I believe Bob Nasanovich was there. And then they also had another guy uh, working with them, and his name was Steve West. Um, and he ends up becoming, and we'll get to this later, but he ends up becoming sort of the mainstay drummer of Pavement throughout their years. But that is, uh, that's sort of how all these guys started to come together, uh, you know, in, in the early days before this band was really kind of a, a regular a regular thing. So getting into that, so uh, finally at the end of, uh, you know, going into 1992-ish era um, is when they finally recorded their first album, Slain and Enchanted. Um, it's essentially really still just uh, Malkmus and Canberg with Gary Young on drums. Um, and it's really uh, kind of that lo-fi fuzz screaming guitar album, which I think is, is you know, in some ways like a great intro into this band. Um, and you really kind of hear not only just sort of like that post-punk side of them, but you do start to hear the melodic side come out. Um, and you hear it on songs like uh, Here, uh, and you start to really hear kind of their, you know, their sound starting to really kind of even coalesce a little bit more there. Yeah, it's definitely their most, I guess you could say, post-punk sounding record, distinct from the others in that it doesn't quite as sound as much classic rock. And frankly, this this record, they sound a heck of a lot like uh, the Manchester post-punk band The Fall. In fact, at first they were kind of derided as being a ripoff of The Fall, in particular um, the Fall song Hip Priest, and listen to uh, the last song in Slanted and Enchanted, Our Singer. It's um, a little bit close. I mean, The Fall... Yes. The Fall have like 78,000 albums, nearly as many lineups, the one constant being uh, the recently deceased Mark E. Smith. He lived a pretty hard life. I think he died last year. I mean, I'm kind of the furthest thing from an expert on the fall, but I think if you want a good intro, probably the best record is uh, This Nation's Saving Grace from 1985. But just in terms of emphasizing lo-fi, wackiness, and repetition, yeah, Pavement sounded a bit like the fall. So sue him. <laughs> <laughs> so most of Slanted and Enchanted was recorded between New York City and Stockton between... December of 91 and January, or excuse me, December of 1990 and January of 1991. Summer Babe was released as a single on Drag City. It was their last single on Drag City before they moved to Matador. And of note, uh, this person keeps coming up in this podcast for good reason. Uh, the title of the record, Slanted and Enchanted, was lifted from a drawing from Silver Jews and Purple Mountains founder David Berman. It's probably not the last time you're going to hear his name today. Um, at one point, Stephen Malcolmus was quoted as saying that Slanted and Enchanted was the best record that they ever made as a band because it was their least self-conscious and least repeatable. Of note, the album actually circulated as a cassette tape prior to its proper album release. I know it certainly circulated at the spin offices because um, the hype from their initial EPs is really that intense. I just, um, I know we had mentioned some of their EPs earlier. To kind of get the full story of Early Pavement, 
you got to listen to the Watery Domestic EP, which is really key songs like Front Words and Texas Never Whispers. And um, I think actually probably the easiest way to get that's included as part of the big double disc reissues that Matador did for all of the pavement records other than Terra Twilight in the 2000s. I know um, Spotify is really good for exploring pavement B-sides. I'll say that much. Yes. You should be purchasing music. If you just want to hear these B-sides once, that's uh, one way of doing it. Like many 90s bands, Pavement were ridiculously creative and prolific B-siders. Yeah, I would I would second that. Go out and, and check those out, because those have so many great tracks that, uh, that you might never hear otherwise. Um, I would almost say that some of, you know... Honestly, at this point, it, and of course, it changes day by day. But some of my favorite songs aren't even on like official pavement albums. They're all some of those B side songs that that sort of circulate as these extra tracks from those reissues. So when this reissue came out, uh, notably, this got a ten from Pitchfork. It would not be the last time they would notate a pavement record with a 10 and it was the highest ranking pavement record of the 90s on their top 100 albums of the 90s came in at number five crooked rain crooked rain comes in at i believe number eight um this record i think it really sets the table for what they're going to represent even though it might be slightly dated it's an updated take on early 70s country gold Play with le- even less slackerdom than grunge. It's more thoughtful, funnier lyrics, and at a pace that felt at ease. The kind of sardonic worldview is all there. The jangly guitars are all there. Um, and yet, while every pavement record sounds like something out of the 90s, I felt listening to this uh, recently that it could be the one that would soundtrack a PCU ripoff. Um, it also sounds... <laughs> it's definitely... It's definitely like a beer bash record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this just like definitely <laughs> sounds like 1992 to me in a lot of ways, like uh, neon hats and uh, uh, flannel shirts um, kind of tied around the waist type of thing. Um, it also sounds like kind of a leader, like a leading album in a larger field. Uh, following this record and especially following the next one we're going to talk about, Pavement becomes a name that really means something right away. And like Radiohead would learn one year later, albeit in a very different way, a scene and an idea for what a band could be in the classic rock lineage had been set once again. Um, I would say to compare this to Fish, this is kind of akin to their Junta or their Nectars period. The foundation is there, and in some ways, some of the best ideas that they'll ever have are there. But it's clear there's more to tap from the well. Divergence is going to play a bigger role than the foundation in their overall career in a lot of ways. And this is the one pavement record that sounds the most like slacker rock. Yes. Kind of got them pegged as such. I mean, it's purposely sloppy and lo-fi, but the songwriting's indelible. Like slackers don't write pop songs as good as Summer Babe and right. Not the <laughs> Desert here and like Zurich is Stain. I mean, it's kind of difficult to put into words what a stone cold jam that Summer Babe is. I mean, the opening couplet, like Ice Baby. I saw your girlfriend and she's eating her fingers like it's just another meal. Like that's that's poetry. And I mean, <laughs> Malcolmus is singing the deadpan that's kind of like Lou Reed. There's like this awesome D major churn. I mean, Summer Babe, it just sounds like the greatest stoner beach party of your life and it just kicks off the record and you're like, 
fuck yeah. I mean, I think one of the earlier EPs was emblazoned with, I think, the phrase, like, I am made of hard rock and blue sky, and I want to stay this way forever. And that's kind of the feeling that you get when you're listening to Summer Babe. And then you've also got a song like Here that's like a genuine power ballad that's so elegant it got covered by um, the British slowcore uh, slow band Tindersticks. I mean, there's certainly some shouty throwaways that have minimal purpose aside from showcasing the pipes of Bob Nastanovich. But it's really, um, if you need the origin story to start the legend, this is where you begin. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's important to note just for anyone who is kind of diving in for the first time, like, this is the lo-fi, you know, DIY sound, um, sounding record for them. I don't think any of their other albums really sound quite like this. Um, and you know, so I, at times when I've talked to people about getting into pavement, I've almost said to like, skip this one, start with Mm. crooked rain potentially, and then go back. Um, because I do think it has a little bit of like a jarring sound to it in comparison to the others, just in, in the nature of even just the recording of it, not even just in in their playing, but in, in just sort of how it was, you know, again, yeah. just it's, it's not as slick. Um, yes. and I think some people get maybe thrown from that. And I don't, I sometimes don't want people to like, think of that as what everything else they're going to have to listen to as, as being that way. So I do sometimes like hold that one back on someone when I'm trying to get them into pavement. I try and like leave it for like the second or third album, just because I don't want them to be caught off guard or think that it's one thing when it's the rest of their career. Isn't that right? I agree entirely. That said, I mean, anyone who listens to summer babe and doesn't like it, I mean, that's, that's like sub-Trump voter right there. There's, <laughs> there's no way in hell you can't like that song. Well, on that note, should we listen to a bit of Summer Babe off of Sun and Enchanted? Fuck yeah, we well, should. Let's do it. Girlfriend, and she's eating her fingers like they're just another meal. 
crisis we're facing right now has threatened the livelihood and mental health of countless musicians. Backline is the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub, and their work is more vital than ever. Launched in 2019, Backline aims to give artists, crew, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline is currently hosting virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breathwork sessions. Osiris is proud to partner with Backline. To donate, learn more, or to get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. Again, that's backline.care. All right. So, um, thank you. I love Summer Babe. That is such a kick-ass song. So, going into their second record, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, I personally think um, this is the one maybe for people to start with when it comes to pavement. So, yes. uh, going into this album... Uh, Gary Young ends up being replaced by Steve West, which we uh, talked about. West... Um, you know, comes in, he's got more of like a polished sound to his drumming. Um, and as a result, Bob Nastanovich starts to almost ponder whether he still has a role in the band to begin with, since he's not really technically any sort of musician. He's always been sort of like this hype man and and in some ways was kind of just like a timekeeper wrangler for Gary Young, um, who would... Uh, famously, like, get on stage and just do handstands, and then, you know, they'd need <laughs> the drums to kick in, and he wouldn't be there. He'd be, like, you know, falling over on the side of the stage drunk or something like that. So um, you can start to see with this with this uh, album that things start to get a little bit more polished, and Astanovich, uh, I think, helps push them a little bit. He starts dabbling a little bit more in, like, percussion, and some keyboards and some other sounds that sort of start to pop up. So it's not just, you know, uh, a noisy guitar kind of driven sound. Um, one track I would point to is called five minus four equals unity, which um, is probably, I, th- I believe they're only, or one of their only, uh, uh, you know, basically lyricless tracks um, and it's kind of like almost this nice little nod to Dave Brubeck's Take 5 because it's got that same time signature going to it, which I think is is pretty cool. Um, so this this record, Slain, is way more polished and produced than Slain and Enchanted, but I think it still retains kind of the slightly messy, um, you know, sort of chaotic sound that, that sort of all sort of fits together. Um, yeah, notably, the Gary Young story doesn't quite end there, because uh, in 1994, Gary Young put out a solo record entitled Hospital that uh, it's more interesting than good. There was a video <laughs> for the lead single, Plant Man, as in, Plant Man knows where the plants they go, and that was basically that lyric kind of repeated over and over with the chorus, is the Plant Man... It was shown as the last video in 120 minutes once. It's kind of an act of charity. I remember 
seeing it and thinking, what the fuck? It's uh, <laughs> kind of minimalist folk. It's not very good, but um, I don't know. Maybe he said, I used to play drums in pavement, so someone signed him. Who knows? But yeah, right. that's on Spotify if you feel like checking it out, actually. Yeah, so I think beyond sort of the overall you know, production and polish, uh, again, you really do hear the difference in in what Steve West's drumming style brings. He kind of has, I like to describe as it's like this, you know, rollicking, like a horse's gallop or sort of almost like a, a boulder sort of rolling downhill. Um, and I think that does start to contrast really well with, you know, Malkmus, who has this sort of laid back singing style where he's almost talking through the lyrics at like a, you know, behind the beat a little bit. And I think that kind of makes a, a really interesting combination and is something that I think then starts to really define the band's sound overall from like here at Crooked Rain going forward. And then lastly, I think, um, and maybe this is my own interpretation, but I do feel like uh, this album, you know, with with Steve Malkmus and with Spiral Stairs being from California, it feels like a lot of these uh, songs on this album really do sort of talk a lot about kind of this like California lifestyle and this idea of like Northern California versus Southern California. So there's, um, you know, there's one song where he's like, you know, with a credit card in the air. And, uh, you know, talking about like, you know, the South picks up what the North delivers and this whole idea of, you know, sort of the L.A. version of what California is. And then there's sort of like the San Francisco area version of what California is and how those sort of clash in some ways and sort of this this kind of, you know, idea of these two different, um, you know, ideas of what uh you know, California is, or the vision of, of what that, you know, ideal state is. Um, I think it's pretty interesting and it's, and it's one of the, you know, sort of things that every time I listen to that record, I kind of go back to and think about with that kind of frame of mind of like, what's he saying about that mm. with this line? Yeah, I definitely get the regionality of it and especially like the focus on California and the nineties and what it meant to be kind of outside of the limelight and live like, you know, in the center of the state, like Stockton, California. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there, but it is not a nice place. Um, like it's not, no. like it's, it's just like a city. It's literally like a mall basically. Um, but I think one thing that's interesting about this record, I mean, this is, uh, two albums in, this is probably the peak of Pavement's work as as a collective group. Um, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff about their next uh, three records that we're going to obviously get into. But I think one thing, like this is their capstone record in a lot of ways. And um, unlike the other three bands that we've featured in this setting, so we've done a full breakdown of Wilco, U2, and Radiohead to this point, um, I'm not sure that any pavement record ever tended to be intended to be perfect. Like those three bands like labored over perfect records in a lot of ways, but crooked rain, crooked rain sure comes closest for pavement. It's this perfect mix of quick witted songwriting hooks, a bit of slop. That's really well fit. Like you think about the entrance to the album in silence kit where like it's just noise for 30 seconds before they find this just 
incredibly catchy guitar riff that leads into a fantastic song with like a huge chorus. Uh, you got experiments, like you were saying, PJ, with 5-4 U equals unity. And then even more hooks on top of that. It's one of the catchiest and loosest albums of all time. And it really, if if you're only going to listen to one pavement record, this is the one that's going to really encapsulate all their sounds and make their sound and their ideas that much more accessible for you. Yeah, I um, again, this was the first album I heard of them. So I've always thought of it as as the best way to kind of introduce someone uh, into what pavement is all about. Um, I will raise my hand and say that I did famously, uh, and uh, my friend never lets me forget this, that uh, I did complain about Malkmus's singing for the first the first time I heard it. Just kind of like, this guy doesn't know how to sing. This is horrible. What are you, what are you playing? Get this off. Um, but, you know, he kept insisting that, uh, that I just keep listening to it and give it a shot. And sure enough, it's like, you know, I feel like Crooked Rain is one of those albums that... I mean, not a lot of time passes uh, between listens, uh, frankly. Yeah, this this record is a bit before my time and it will always like kind of what we were talking about earlier at the start of this episode. It'll always feel like a record that I had to discover because it's what older friends or brothers were listening to. But it feels like such a prescient piece of a time and place, kind of similar to what Kid A would feel like for people in high school and college at the same time as me. Obviously, sonically, it's very different. But like when I think of Kid A, I think of like the turn of the century, uh, you know, kind of technology really taking over. When I think of Crooked Rain, I think of like sun-baked mid-1990s when like life was good, things were going well, and a band like Pavement could exist. To me, this record, it's classic rock. This is yeah. one great album we played from start to finish, peaks and valleys, hooks and in-jokes. I mean, none of it feels out of place. And of course, like every classic rock album must do, it ends with the epic Freebird-style jam in uh, the song Fillmore Jive. It's a really big leap from Slants to the Enchanted. I mean, they hosted an episode of MTV's 120 Minutes. They played on that episode. They had a lead review in Rolling Stone. The videos cost money. I mean, this was going to be the record to bring the underground plainly above ground, or at the least set the uh, course for the follow-up record to do so. I mean, I remember reading Spin Magazine in 1994, and this had like the lead review, and it said in the song, Cut Your Hair, how Malcolmus is yelling, Korea, Korea, the word career over and over, how it sounded like Korea, and then the critic was like, oh, Korea, he's talking about a culture war, Korean war, you know, probably not, but I was just a critic kind of being silly. I mean, I want to admit, I didn't actually own a copy of this record until college, because it was released in, I mean, I went to college in 1997. This album came out in 1994, right when I was, you know, kind of still like a mainstream grunge kid, listening to like Faith No, uh, Pearl Jam, Malice in Chains, Faith No More, kind of really getting in the fish. So I knew about mm -hmm. Pavement. I knew they were supposed to be cool. I really like Cut Your Hair. I really like Range Life. But I didn't actually buy the record until three years later because, well, sometimes that happens. <laughs> Well, I think that that's, you said some stuff there that I really want to focus on, especially as we're going forward here, because this, this setup of bringing the underground above ground right. that 
if Crooked Rain's not going to do it, it's going to be the follow-up record. And, um, you know, I think for a lot of people out here uh, who, who may be listening to this who may have not gotten into Pavement, um, you know, I would say even if you know that you don't know Pavement, you definitely know And if I played you Cut Your Hair or Range Life or even Shady Lane, you would know what this album is and kind of what it represents for both Pavement and larger indie rock at the time. This Isn't is Cut just, Your Hair used on like ESPN as the fade out for like some show? Uh, I think it's used on Part of the Interruption. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Totally. Um, you know, I would say, and, and this is going to be kind of a, I don't think it's a point of contention, but it's like a really interesting subplot of like following Pavement's career and Malcolmus's career following is, you know, without an album like this, there's an argument to be made that there isn't a larger press curiosity for say Yola Tango, Neutral Milk Hotel, Guided by Voices, Bonnie Prince Billy, The Dismemberment Plan, the list goes on and on and on. Um, they kind of provide hope at this time in the mid nineties for major labels that indie bands could write hits and take the same step that grunge had like three or four years earlier. Now, as we're going to talk about this didn't happen and it would kind of be clear with their follow-up, but it's a really wild musical what if, and it's kind of one of the first what ifs that we come across within this band's career of um, an era that kind of went to some really shit places from like a rock pop standpoint. Like a lot of these, a lot of artists following pavement would struggle to kind of take that next step and have to like uh, live in relative poverty from a musical artist standpoint. Um, you know, and, this kind of set the parameters for rock music going forward in a lot of cases. Like you almost wonder what would have happened if a band like pavement had taken the step forward and become a major label, uh, band in 1994, how much shitty rock and roll music we could have avoided in the late nineties and early two thousands. And I'm talking about like new metal as well as like kind of light, uh, FM type of, uh, type of rock and roll that we were hearing. Um, hmm. I would pose as well, if you're a musical elitist in some way, shape, or form, there has been at least one deep and important listen to Crooked Rain in your entire life. <laughs> um, from a songwriting standpoint, this is where Malcolmus's highly unusual melodies really combine with his personal and sardonic lyrics fused together in a way that shouldn't work but totally do. Cut Your Hair, Gold Sounds, Range Life, these songs shouldn't work but they completely do. Uh, this record, as I said earlier, is the number eight record on Pitchfork's top albums in the 90s. Gold Sounds was rated as the number one song of the decade. And as with most things elitism coming out of America, the album did far better in Europe than it did in the States, charting at 15 on the UK charts, but only hitting 121 in the States. Um, yeah, the, uh, the UK mags, the Melody Makers, Enemy, Mojo uncut found pavement sexy they toured europe quite a bit as a result yes yes a lot of these like great bands from the 90s would and one thing i also want to note is like there's something so suburban and this is like we were talking about um uh where stockton uh, california is it is like the true epicenter of the suburbs and for most middle-class americans the 90s were the unified experience of suburban living 
kind of increasing exurban living. We were in this massive boom, shopping malls and big box stores ruled all. Fast food couldn't kill you yet. At least we didn't think so. McMansions were still 10 years away. Wars weren't on TV and the media, while increasingly encroaching on our lives, wasn't yet paired with technology in the assaulting way which we experience it minute by minute now. Life was good for many, and like most good things, life was banal. The weirdness of the 60s and 70s had subsided. Reagan had coddled us, and at that point was viewed as an American hero by most middle-class white adults who'd fully bought into the system and were thriving off of it. Pavement explored this brief period in American culture better than most, not as fearful as Radiohead, not as angry as Pearl Jam or Nirvana. They sat above it all in some ways and kind of removed from it in others, but wholly immersed in it for most part, for the most part. Their rebellion was an observation and carefully dropped jokes, many of which went over most people's heads, and they did it all the best on Crooked Rain. Yeah, this album is, uh, just to follow up on that, Brian, that's... This album is as suburban as fuck. I mean, it's kind of like the equivalent of a drum kit next to a ratty couch in the basement of like your older brother giving you your first roach when mom and dad aren't home. I mean, I've got no idea whether pavement were children of privilege or not, but I mean, just from the sound of this record, they probably grew up in the suburbs in houses with big basements. Maybe the family television was down in the basement. Maybe like grandma's the Afghan was down. It just sounds like a suburban basement album if that makes any sense yeah absolutely i also love um as you guys were talking about sort of like the the musical elitism um <laughs> i was rem- i was reminded of the fact that this album also sort of famously takes digs at some of the other popular bands of the 90s oh yeah too, oh yeah where you- you know, kind of jokes about like, you know, uh, Stone Temple Pilots and their elegant bachelors and uh, smashing pumpkins and kind of really, they kind of, yeah, they kind of, they take some jabs. They're not afraid to kind of pull the punches and, and, you know, they're, they're clearly trying to set a different course and be, you know, not like those bands. Um, Well, that's the thing. They said that like, didn't at the time like Billy Corgan one of them kicked off Lollapalooza for those for that, and I mean didn't yes. Malcolmus eventually yeah. say like that was just like it wasn't us that was like supposed to be the perspective of kind of like an older scenester who just doesn't understand life anymore, and then it was the thing we said like out on the road with Smashing Pumpkins, Nature Kids, I they don't have no function. Like, <laughs> well, and I think that's the almost like the perfect way to cap this off because after Crooked Rain, they did go on tour for Lollapalooza in '95, um, and they you know sort of famously spent you know much more of their time you know just kind of drinking and you know smoking pot and doing anything else but caring about you know. The, the tour itself um and so they were kind of like billed as or they were sort of known as like this outlier band on that on that tour um and in the great dvd documentary uh the slow century it does have the clip of when they were playing in west virginia um the audience did not like them at all and uh started started throwing mud started throwing rocks at them and one rock just nails Malkmus like straight in the chest. And you could tell it hurt. 
And he just like completely just drops the guitar and they just walk off stage and their set basically ends early and spiral stairs uh, stays behind and just is flipping off the crowd and mooning them. And they just keep coming back with, with more mud and more rocks. And that's when they basically dubbed themselves the band that ruined Lollapalooza. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, you know, that you say that like all of this kind of melds together is what makes this record so fascinating. Cause while Crooked Rain could have been the stepping stone towards this like future success for Pavement, it's kind of seen as this question mark. Like if you're going to play a song like Range Life in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of people, like that should be a unifying moment. And instead they got pelted with mud and rocks. Um, there's aspects of this that's like unexplainable and mysterious. And the fact that the band preferred to zag when they were supposed to zig and they kind of avoided the chance almost like on purpose to move to the level of REM or Pearl Jam or later Radiohead when they had the chance. The decision kind of not only impacts what we hear when we hear Crooked Rain, but also the way that we kind of view Pavement as a complete band as, you know, it's wild that this is a band that's, you know, five, six years overall into their career, two years into their recording career as like full album artists and only five years from disbanding so with that let's uh i think we should maybe play a little bit of range life what do you think i think range life is the best pick to go with here let's do that awesome after the glow the scene the stage the set Talk becomes slow, but there's one thing I'll never forget Hey, you gotta pay your dues before you pay the rent Over the turnstiles and out in the traffic There's ways of living, it's the way I'm living Right or wrong, it's all that I can do So, if you're afraid of mainstream success, you follow your breakthrough album with Wowie Zowie from 1995. This is the record that most bands <laughs> don't have the guts to write until they're well off financially and are towards the back end of their label deal. I mean, imagine if Radiohead had made Kid A following the Benz. This is not to say that Radiohead is not 
does not have the like balls to do something like this, but just imagine. Uh, there's a loose comparison here. This is kind of like akin to Wilco turning in Yankee Hotel Foxtrot following Summer Teeth when their label is expecting 11 polished variations on Can't Stand It and Shot in the Arm. Um, Wowie Zowie was my first pavement record. I discovered the band late and I still remember my first reaction to it. I turned it on walking through the grocery store in Chuncheon, South Korea, and went, huh, this is pavement? And it's grown into perhaps my favorite pavement record to this point. Um, before we dive deep into this record that Malcolmist claims is most of his friends' favorite pavement album, I want to read a quick paragraph from March, Mark Richardson's fantastic 2006 review of the album's reissue. Further listens and passing time improved the sound of Wowie Zowie. The original A-side stretching from We Dance to Serpentine Pad may be the best album side they ever managed. And the strangely effective construction of Malcolmus's songs bring to mind a question that wasn't asked the first time around. What if he wasn't screwing around, but instead was bored with where he had been and was looking for a new songwriter language? He found one at any rate, and it all centered on his guitar. Malcolmus never played better than he did here, though he didn't solo much. Instead, he let the guitar serve as the duet partner that Spiral Stairs never was. Using breathtakingly melodic lines to serve as a chorus of sorts on Blackout, Grounded, Pueblo, and Flux equals Rad, all have a guitar part at their center in a place where another songwriter might have put a vocal hook. And I think that that aspect of this record, the discovery that Malcolmus has on this record of what his guitar could do in conjunction with his songwriting and with his voice and his lyrics is a really important stepping stone to where the band is going to go for the next two records, but also where Malcolmus is going to go over the next 25 years. What are your guys' thoughts on Wowie Zowie, the third pavement record? I mean, looking back, for those of us that can remember 1995, it's important to note what a, the fuck swerve this album was. I mean, this was really supposed to be like Pearl Jam's Versus to Crooked Rain, Crooked yeah. Rain's 10, like the right, rock right. solid. <laughs> The rock-solid follow-up album to establish once and for all this band is for real. They're in it for the long haul and ready to sell out large theaters, if not arenas. Wowie's Alley was decidedly not that record. <laughs> I mean, it has what I consider to be Pavement's very best songs. My, my three favorite Pavement songs are Grounded, Father to a Sister of Thought, and Blackout. But it also has many songs that instead of sounding like The Fall, it sounds like they're trying to rip off, like, like God Ween, Satan era Ween, minus the songwriting chops. Like um, <laughs> like Mark Richardson, like you said, I mean, I think on this record from We Dance through Father to a Sister of Thought is pretty reasonably great. Like there's some jokier stuff like Brink's Job, uh, Serpentine Pad, but even still, it's kind of like, you know, it works. And the record gets fucking grimy. Yes. Like Malcolmus in... um. The Slow Century DVD, which is interesting because that uh, that 
was directed by Lance Bangs. I think he's married to uh, Corinne Tucker from Slater Kinney. And um, a lot of the interviews with Stephen Malcolm is take place in a sauna, where he's just like sitting there wearing like a loincloth <laughs> in a sauna, like it's no big deal. So he said like this record famously, I guess the quote was like, yeah, I was smoking lots of pot and I thought all these are songs were going to be hits. And <laughs> the second half of this album, it sounds like if you're talking pot, it sounds like the joint is like a half smoking roach surrounded by beer cans that you like hit first thing when you wake up because you're fucking dirty and proud. I mean, there's no reason to listen to like fight this generation ever. That song sucks. But, and you've got like father to a sister of thought. It's got like the most beautiful, almost like Jerry Garcia teach the children like style pedal steel solo. And like grounded is majestic. And Blackout predicts like basically predicts like the most recent Malcolmist solo record. So what do I know? I mean, it peaks so high, but it's. Yeah, it's it's so much of like I've always thought of it as like this. I, I think maybe even the first time I heard it, I thought it was another one of those like was this like a compilation? Like it just it feels so fragmented and disjointed at certain points where it's like this you know collection of different ideas, but they're not like fully realized yet. Um, and I did and I did read somewhere. I think it was Spiral Stairs who mentions like. I think they were getting a lot of pressure from the label because of, um, you know, the praise and success of Crooked Rain. So I think there was a lot of pressure for them to kind of like respond with something great. And I think because of that, they felt rushed. So you do sort of hear that here where you hear like fragments of things, but it's like, it's like thoughts and, and ideas that are only like three quarters of the way, realized or completed it's like they didn't really finish things before they moved on to the next thing and uh and i i know that spiral stairs has said you know if we were given like you know a month or two months longer on this record i think it would have turned out sounding a lot different than it does um so i almost feel like this was an album for me that for a while i don't know that i really listened to all of it like i kind of jumped in and would listen to like a few songs and then jump back out because it's just so many different fragments. It doesn't have that cohesiveness the way I think some of their album, their other albums do. And it's a lot more tracks too. So it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of just like a, it's pavement ADD or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like 18 tracks and, you're right. It feels like a collection in a lot of ways. And it, it feels like this could be like their B-sides almost to Crooked Rain in a sense. Like if you were just kind of glancing through their overall career. Um, the album title itself is an ode to former drummer Gary Young, who would yell wowie zowie when he was excited. Uh, the alternative title from Baba Nastanovich was Dick Sucking Fool at Pussy Licking School, and something tells me that Pavement's coolness would not have aged as well as it has had they named their highly anticipated follow-up this. That doesn't really translate to 2020 America. It would have been a good name yes. for Pavement cover band. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, talk about Ween. Like, that feels like a Ween album cover. 
her album title. Mm. Um, the album artwork, which is really cool, was painted by Steve Keen. It's based loosely off a picture from Life magazine of uh, two Afghan women, um, as well as a 1972 album artwork for Guru Guru's Kanga Guru, which Malcolmus always loved. And like we've been talking about here, and this kind of gets to kind of a larger journey that Pavement was on. This was really criticized at the time for its messiness, as well as kind of establish a notion among rock critic royalty of the time. Kind of folks hoping that grunge and indie would take this leap into 70s rock brilliance that pavement couldn't be taken seriously and kind of operated inside this in this world of like inside jokes i think that the review in i think it was rolling stone said that they it was like like yeah rolling stone was like two and a half stars wasn't even like like the lead review yeah and i think that they basically were like they're just making jokes for 15 year old boys um this album uh i i, I feel like this album in a lot of ways to me is the closest record that pavements ever made to anything that fish has ever done in the sense that it is so inherently pavement in a way that it almost feels like a code that you have to crack. If you're from the outside, it's definitely some like story of the ghost kind of feel to it. And that you can only, those who are already on the bus will yeah. appreciate it more. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And kind of like Fish is jamming around like 1995. Like if you were going to a Fish show as just like or as like a casually curious music critic and you went to like, I don't know, the Jones Beach shows that you saw, Dave, and those shows, if you just like casually showed up and you hear like a 30-minute tweezer, you'd be like, what the fuck is this band just like trying to push me away? Um this record is kind of akin to the White Album. It's like this pastiche of all that the band can and wants to do, even if it's only some of it works. You have to admire it. You know, they're being themselves, like I said. That, to me, has to be celebrated. And for one of the very small percentages of indie bands that legitimately had a chance to make it in the 90s, I think there's something really fascinating and really, like, we should be celebrated about the fact that they stayed pure to their craft, their creativity, and their exploration um, that's really impressive. You know, a lot of bands at this time, given the opportunity that pavement was given would have probably sold out in a lot of cases. And, you know, I think in some sense, like the ultimate legacy of this album seems to be the band realizing that they'd rather be themselves, even when misunderstood than anything for anyone else. Um, this is also, this is like in some cases to their lasting success as well as their detriment. And it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for me. Like the period of 1995 to 1998 saw so many one-hit wonder alt-rock bands. And Pavement seemed to have this keen eye that that just wasn't worth it. Like you think like Third Eye Blind, Fastball, Semisonic, Cake, even the Wallflowers to a certain degree, Counting Crows, Marcy Playground. Like those bands like all had and I'm not saying that any of them were like ever going to have the chance of being as good as pavement, but they all have like one big hit and like nothing else. Um, you know, and I feel in some cases, like you can almost think of like the verve as a band that like you really have to explore to truly understand, but have this one single bittersweet symphony that has kind of probably followed their career around to the larger public in the way that pavement never really had even like a song like cut your hair or range life never got as big as like bittersweet symphony did see out of all those bands 
Marcy Playground Sex and Candy is probably like the best. Yeah, movie <laughs> totally. That's a really good call. I never That's a about really it, good I, call. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I had never considered that yes. even as I was writing this out, and that totally makes sense. Definitely some yeah. junior paper so, going on with that song. So from like a right. timeline <laughs> standpoint, um, right after they released this album, a lot of these guys were also recording with uh, Dave Berman and the Silver Jews as part of his backing band. And uh, they were supposed to record, I believe it was part of Natural Bridge, but I could be off on that. And um, they had a session set up, and Berman, just for whatever reason, I think was being, I don't know, uh, difficult or something, but just didn't show up. So rather than uh, wasting uh, wasting the studio time, uh, Malkmus, Steve West, and Bob Nastanovich basically used the time that they had and recorded an EP for Pavement called Pacific Trim, which is also worth sort of checking out it's it's very similar to the wowie zowie and that it's like these um they almost feel like snippets of songs that again are only like three quarters of the way uh complete but um i think you know it also is is very quintessential pavement they've got a great song called gangsters and pranksters and it's sort of the idea of uh you know a gangster um uh, you know, a gangster tries to hook up with your girlfriend and a prankster tries to dose your Kool-Aid with LSD. Um, and it's kind of got this pretty funny, uh, you know, sort of take on the difference between the two. But it's uh, it's another good sort of nugget in the, in this period worth checking out of sort of what, what they were all doing at the time with, with their songs. What song were listening to from Wow Is Out? Was it Grounded? I think it's got to be grounded. Um, it's got to be grounded. I'm down with grounded. Sounds amazing. All right, let's listen to it.
If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist at your own convenience. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, among more. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly, over phone, or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. I've been using BetterHelp for the last few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. That's BTP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash BTP. All right. So um, the next album we're going to cover is called Bright in the Corners, came out in 1997. And I have to say I'm extremely excited to talk about this one because I think this is probably, and I know it definitely is, it's one of my top three favorite albums of all time. I think it is just the complete package. I love the way the tracks um, kind of fit together as far as the tracks that open the, you know, the track that opens the album versus what closes it. I think the album artwork is perfect and gorgeous and amazing um and it just i think it's just the most all-encompassing of everything i love about pavement um spiral stairs has two songs on this um and i think are two of some of his best um and i think it kind of combines the like looseness that they had from Wowie Zowie, but also sort of combines it with that solid songwriting and production from Crooked Rain. So it's almost like they were able to finally complete some of the thoughts. Um, a lot of these songs are a little bit slower to like mid-tempo rockers. So there's not as much, um, you know, kind of like fast-paced or heavier songs. Um, but I do think there's something that to them they're a little bit more sort of realized and mature um the songs uh explore kind of life at home they explore sort of like global politics and it's less sort of screaming and noise than um has previously been done before so uh what are your guys thoughts so I think in this like little deep dive re-listen that we've done 
Um, Bright in the Corners is probably my favorite pavement record at the time. Um, like you were saying, it's kind of domestic. It's world weary. It's kind of accessible while it's still retaining mystery. And um, I feel like I keep hammering this ho- point home, but like it's just something that like really fascinates me about pavement and uh, really about this record as well. Like um, I kind of would love to know what this record would have sounded like in a vacuum. But there's a part of me that wishes that like a song like Shady Lane had blown up and we could see like what pavement would have been with like a big song like that. Um, you also have to kind of wonder what would have happened to pavement's career had they released this as a follow up to Crooked Rain. Um, I think we've covered pretty well thus far, like why in some ways it's more preferable that this didn't happen, but it's wild to hear how much more focused and polished they sound here than they did on Wowie Zowie. You know, you open with stereo, which for listeners out there and I, you know, both you guys as well, if you haven't seen the Conan, uh, performance of stereo, uh, it kind of sums up what we've been talking about here. Like Malcolmus is, has like what could only be described as a haircut and a shirt on. He just looks like a guy (laughs) (laughs) and like, you know, the chorus to stereo is so infectious, but like the song is introduced with 25 seconds of noise and him and him and Bob Nastanovich are like going back and forth, like rapping almost at each other. It's just ridiculous. Um, but that song also shady lane is like a pretty clear statement of their abilities as songwriters to craft singularly excellent and catchy tunes that certainly deserve more attention. Yeah, the song Date with Ikea. It's not only the best Spiral Stairs song, it's one of the best pavement songs. I mean, I can't visit an Ikea now without hearing the song when I enter the store and gawk at all the modern Swedish construction bargains. It's a starry-eyed wonder of a song that owes a lot to the second Big Star album. That's the one that's got Back of a Car, September Girls, all those uh, luscious, luscious Big Star songs. But uh, yeah, Stereo is also the one um, that has the legendary lyric, What about the voice of Getty Lee? How did it get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. And way, uh, way back in the mid-90s, when Fish had the Doniak's Vice, somebody basically wrote in that lyric as like a letter. And then Mike Gordon responded, Just because you quote pavement doesn't mean that Trey will like you. But it turns out that <laughs> But it turns out that he does like you. So here's a number to call him. And it was like H three seven one, like, you know, not Oh, that's so funny. Not a real funny. That's um, great. Unfortunately, uh, I was gonna say, unfortunately the other spiral stairs song, uh, Passat Dream has the amazing lyric of uh, the dealer with the jingly song will never match my price reduction, which the way he sings it, I I kind of just always laugh because it's such a silly, weird lyric, but he sings it with such seriousness that, I don't know, at times I like question my ability to take spiral stairs too seriously. <laughs> um, but that line, I don't know, I just always have to sing it with like real conviction, even though it's just it it doesn't deserve it at all. I just, I love it though. I, you know, <laughs> despite all of that. Yeah. I mean, from a lyrical standpoint on this record, like there's a ton of introspection 
from Malcolmus. And he comments kind of consistently on this idea of him as a misunderstood and misinterpreted songwriter. And this is like a very nineties thing that kind of like went into the two thousands. I think it peaked with Tweedy on Yankee hotel Foxtrot, but like the line, I'm an Island of such complexity on shady lane. Like he just like identifies himself specifically as this, um, you know, uh, individual that like nobody can really crack. Um, ultimately, like, I feel like Malcolmus's best talent is extracting meaning out of nonsense and feel like the gold sounds lyric from crooked rain because you're empty and I'm empty too, but you can never quarantine the past. Like kind of summarizes that in a lot of cases where like his line his his lyrics tend to like grab different imagery and different ideas. Sometimes it matches up. Sometimes it doesn't in a lot of cases, but um, on this record, there's some really, really fantastic songwriting from him. Yeah. I mean, bright in the corners, it kind of strikes me as a somewhat elegant pavement record. Like there's a lot of, Slower tempo songs, they don't plod so much as they glide, like type slowly. Old to begin, Starlings of the Slipstream, which has incredible lyric how there's no coast of Nebraska. I mean, like a lot of the songs, <laughs> they don't feel like they're in a hurry to get anywhere. That kind of goes to the benefit. I mean, the only track in this I don't, I always skip is NBC Row because it kind of sounds like a cranky rock song that just feels a bit out of place. Would have been pretty good inside via Wowie Zowie. I mean, you know, like there's an argument to be made that the band could have maybe found some larger success here, especially if they had released this album after Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. But uh, kind of, you can almost say it represents the walk into the sunset for Pavement and the transition to uh, the Malcolm and solo career. Like there'd still be one more Pavement record, but this is kind of where it comes into focus, and that's almost... Um, kind of summed up by the fact that he kind of still plays he doesn't for his live shows he doesn't play a ton of pavement songs but usually for the encore i mean he's been playing stereo shady lane so like for whatever reason he still thinks these sound good as like malcolmus and the jick solo songs yeah i think that was that what the encore was when we saw him a couple years ago i think yeah it was either stereo shady lane like I think Pink India off of like the first solo yeah, record. Yeah. Which of course, like for anyone like myself who, you know, only got to see pavement in the 2010 reunion year, uh, you know, anytime you get to hear Machmas pull out an old pavement song that you love live is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think like to that point, um, you can see this record as kind of that walk into the sunset for pavement and kind of the transition of Alchemist's solo career. And the next record that we're going to talk about terror twilight, the last pavement record in some cases is a full transition and like might be the first Malcolmist solo record in some cases, like he's 30 years old. Now there's kind of less youthful mockery. The album's focus is on introspection, less on rebellion. Um, Wowie Zowie kind of probably prevented them from being having the ability to be taken seriously on the very like national national level, um, and this is kind of like the record that cements, even though they've got great songs on here that um, are some of my favorite pavement songs I've ever heard, and right now this is probably my favorite pavement record. It kind of solidifies that like they're going to be something of a small band that you have to discover from this point forward. 
Yeah, and I think around this time, too, is when sort of the overall influence of pavement and what they were doing was starting to be felt. So, um, yes, this was around the time when I know, uh, you know, Malkmus especially was sort of getting friendlier with like the guys in blur. Um, and so, you know, there's that period in, in blurs history where, um, you know, everyone has sort of described it as like them trying to sound like pavement. Yeah, their self tell record. Uh, like Graham Cox and the guitarist was obsessed with pavement. Yeah, and then I know uh, there's always been. I don't know the full. I haven't been able to sort of dig into the full story of it, but I've I've read. I I know around this time that Malkmus was hanging out with like Damon Albarn. Uh, from Blur, who then was dating like Justine Frischman from Elastica, and I think Malkmus was sort of like into her, but couldn't pry her away from Albarn. So and was Bob Dylan. So that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's like a whole, uh, you know, there. I think Damon Albarn and Malkmus have like traded traded barbs back and forth throughout the years too. So I don't think that relationship ended up, uh, that friendship ended up lasting very long, but, um, I think this now's around the time in their career where it wasn't even just that they were kind of, you know, putting stuff out there and sort of hitting their stride as far as just being sort of more of a veteran band, but their influence was starting to really permeate into other bands music as well. I could definitely see that. And uh, worth noting on the uh, B-Sides compilation, the big double disc, they do a cover of Echo and the Bunnymen's Killing Moon, which kind of sounds like Neil Young's uh, like Crazy Horse trying to play Killing Moon, and Malcolmus is just kind of doing his like, sing-speak over it. I think it was for um, a BBC radio session from like January 1997. It's pretty good though. Yeah, that's cute. That that version is excellent. I yeah. think I actually prefer, for some reason I and maybe it's just my bias, but I actually prefer it to the original. Prefer to the original, the one on Ocean. Ian yeah. Hmm. All right, to each his own. You're yeah. <laughs> so uh, it kind of takes out some well, of like the original was so self serious that it kind of like takes some of the piss out of the original, which I like. I think maybe it's just it's it's the it's that you know pavement sort of jangly sloppiness that that gets added to it that I like about it um, versus the original. But again, to each his own. I think we're ready to listen to the song from this record. What do we say? So I think Shady Lane might be the the best one to do, but I'm happy to debate that. Um, I'm good with Shady Lane. I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think, you know, it is, I think it's the biggest song off the record, but I think it really exemplifies, uh, like you can think of this song as a updated version of range life, uh, where like Malcolmus is almost writing <clears throat> like seventies Eagles songs, both in a affectionate and not affectionate way. And he ends up just like crafting this perfect gem of mid nineties Americana culture. And, uh, man, the chorus on this song is just one of my favorite things that this band's ever written. Yeah. This song is held up really well over the years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. All right. Everybody wants a shady lane. Good. 
Blind date with the chancer, we had oysters and dry lancers, and the check when it arrived, we went Dutch, 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 a redder shade of neck on a whiter shade of trash, and this emery board is giving me a rash. I'm So we find ourselves now with the final record that Pavement has produced to date, 1999's Terror Twilight. And um, I have to be honest, like before we jump into this, the fact that Pavement released a record in 1999 always kind of fucks with me. Um, <laughs> and in some cases, like this record sounds like it came out in 1999, as we're going to talk about. In other cases, like it, it still sounds like a pavement record to me in a lot of ways. Like they never made that like true departure record feel like Wowie Zowie is the most like departure record, but they definitely tried to in some cases here. And that's because this record was produced by Nigel Godrich of Radiohead fame. And he lends himself to some of the more airy atmosphere qualities of the record but also really heavily focuses on Stephen Malcolmus. There's no Spiral Stairs songs on here. And Godrich's focus on Stephen Malcolmus really started to spur tensions that had kind of been building up and lingering within the band and left a lot of the band members feeling that it was all about Malcolmus and less about anyone else. Um, of note, prior to producing this record, Godrich claimed that he enjoyed Pavement so much that he offered to produce the album for no fee, asking only for royalties. That said, the result of it is much different than what you would imagine a band of pavement stature and a producer of Nigel Godrich's stature going in on a record would be. Uh, in 2017, Malcolmus described Terror Twilight as, quote, a real classic rock overproduced $100,000 record. <laughs> With that much money, you should be able to make something good. We made some things that weren't as good as they could have been. In response to the comments, Nigel Godrich tweeted, I literally slept on a friend's floor in New York City to be able to make that album. Well then. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this album is interesting. Uh, it's definitely not one of my favorites, but um, it has its moments in terms of when I'm into it and when I kind of listen to it. Um, I did. I've I've heard this, and I, I think this might be in the Slow Century uh, uh, 
documentary DVD, which is definitely worth looking up. But uh, yeah. so Bob Nasanovich sort of tries to define what Terror Twilight is. And he says, uh, Terror Twilight is the short span between sunset and dusk. This is considered the most dangerous time in traffic because half of the people switch on their headlights and the other half don't. And it's when most accidents happen. And I feel like that's a really good intro into thinking about this record. Um, I mean, the band was on its way of breaking up. The relationships were strained. There's sort of just like this overproduced almost feeling um, to this record. So it doesn't totally sound like a true pavement record in in many of the ways. Um, And I think, you know, Terror Twilight and this description of it just kind of gives it that um, that ominous feel like there's something lurking. And I think you hear that. And a lot of also like a little bit of like, there's a lot of just sort of interesting noises that'll sort of like lead into or lead out of certain songs sometimes that, uh, that sort of gives it that, that eerie feeling. Um, like you just feel like something bad's about to happen. And, you know, I think that sort of sets up the idea of the fact that this this band was kind of on the verge of basically falling apart. Yeah, to uh, give a title of another album that Nigel Godrich produced being Hail to the Thief, The Gloaming. It's kind of the same thing as Terror Twilight. Yeah. uh, I'll be in the car with the wife at sort of the dusk time. We'll be like, oh, it's The Gloaming. Be careful. So... Kind of following up what you were saying, PJ, like, Terror Twilight's got some great songs. I mean, Spit on a Stranger, Cream of Gold, The Hex, Carrot Rope, Folk Jam. Those are all very good, but it's also got its fair share of very well-produced clunkers, certainly more so than past payment records. And You know, it's kind of, it's pretty obvious that this is the end of the line. I mean, songs like Billy... Platform Blues, Speak, See, Remember. That's kind of Nigel Godrich just kind of put lipstick on a bunch of pigs. I mean, Platform Blues, it's notable because Johnny Greener from Radiohead shows up and plays, like, blues harmonica for no reason. And Billy's annoying. I hate that song. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, that's the fight this generation of Terror Twilight. There's no reason for that song to exist. Um, I kind of compare this album to the Pixies' Trompe Le Monde in that it's still pretty good, but it's nobody's favorite. And after uh, the obligatory tour, the band's front man, the solo record, comes out like fast enough that it's kind of obvious that he already had one foot out the door a while ago. And from a live perspective, though, the Terra Twilight shows, like the tour, might have been the most professional that the band had sounded before... Um, the reunion in 2010 but I know Malcolm has caused a huge stir in um, the British music magazines and they played a show in the United Kingdom I want to say it was in London not positive where uh, he had handcuffs on the microphone stand and I guess he proclaimed like see these handcuffs this is what it's like to be in a band and that really got uh, that provided like a month's worth of like British music magazines saying like oh my god Pavement's going to break up. But, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is kind of like a Malcolm solo record is played by Pavement. But really, you can also see what a fucking amazing guitarist the guy yes. is. Yes. Like the song The Hex. 
the hex is one of like the coolest most sinister guitar sounding uh, guitar solos ever that's kind of like you're in a darkened house there's like a burglar and the burglar's around the corner and you got your baseball bat and he's like waiting to slug him you know i mean it's kind of uh there's some easy listening ballads on it it's a mixed bag it's i don't think it's anyone's favorite pavement record but it's still it's pretty decent in spite of itself yeah i think in calling it sort of the the first sort of solo malkmus record um i think is a pretty fair uh assessment i know um i think i've seen and, and again this could be part of the slow century dvd i think they did record or they were recording um, songs like Discretion Grove, which then end up making it on the first Malkmus album. Um, and they also, I think, were practicing uh, Press and School of Industry, which ends up being Spiral Stairs' first album. So you could sort of see that they, yeah. So you could Press sort of song. see that there were a lot of ideas that didn't make it, and they, they all sort of quickly recycled them into their, you know, their first solo careers. I mean, it was still universally praised upon its release because it's pavement right like i think pitchfork gave it like a nine something or other um pavement super fan of rob sheffield wrote about it and he said like they used to be pranksters now they're like rock and roll's most sure thing but you know also um the band nickel creek chris teeley is like uh his trio the first band before the punch brothers they covered spit on a stranger and like awesome like bluegrass style it's pretty great yeah i i've been i sent this to you guys as we were kind of planning this out and i've been kind of obsessed with this uh full video from a show that they played in the netherlands in 1999 on this tour and kind of of note you could tell we were talking about this earlier that pavement were in a lot of cases bigger in England or in the, in the, in Europe. And, um, the way that Malcolmus talks to the Dutch crowd and speaks actually in Dutch at times, uh, is just like really clear, like how comfortable the way were in that part of the world. Um, also on the stage was a bunch of those like strips of light, like red and yellow and blue lights that like, if you, pressed a button on them, they would flash on and off or they'd like spiral around in really trippy ways. And they have those just like strung up on the instruments. It looks really DIY, which kind of... Is it Christmas lights? Yeah, but they're like these like thicker plastic Christmas lights. Or a little, I don't know. It's It just looks like something that like someone would put up in a basement, which... 10 years into their career now. Like it's just, it seems a little bit out of place, but also very fitting at the same time. But I really noticed on that performance, how much they jam. And I think a lot of these songs on terror twilight, especially like lend themselves to a little bit more, uh, space and a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of play them out a little bit longer than they normally would be on the record. That has become something of a, not necessarily like expected jamming from Malcolmist from a solo career, but definitely something of late, especially that he's uh, been a huge advocate for. Yeah, especially uh, the Hex. They can. He's actually he's yes. played that with his solo band a few times, I think, recently. That album, I think that song might have been recorded for Bright in the Corners, but it got like 
lopped off and it's a b-side on the right the corners and they decided to hold it over so Nigel Godrich could produce it for Terra Twilight that's uh that's a cool song it's probably my favorite song on the record yeah there was actually uh a clip I don't know where it was but it's on Instagram of uh Malkmus playing Spit on a Stranger solo acoustic um that actually just came out like the uh, the last couple of days that I thought was pretty interesting I wasn't sure how much of uh, Terror Twilight songs that he really, truly revisits. But um, it was kind of an interesting little uh, acoustic take, you know, solo take on it that um, I thought was just kind of nice to see that he still sort of plays a few of those tunes here and there. And I guess, I mean, as acrimonious or not as the breakup may have been, like they still did get back together for a pretty uh, a quickie uh, 2010 reunion tour, which I was able to, I caught it in yes. New York City Central Park, and it was amazing. I was on Cloud Nine. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, I saw them close out the Pitchfork Music Festival, and uh, they were introduced by a former DJ of Q101 who railed against the crowd for the five minutes that he was given by saying, none of you listen to a band called Pavement and it shows. <laughs> and he got booed off the stage shortly after that. And the crowd at Pitchfork Fest probably would have listened to Pavement. Yes, yeah. right? It was it's a very strange, uh, like, old man yells from his porch type of moment. So uh, even beyond the 2010 tour, so I know um, – for Spiral Stairs' 50th birthday party, which I believe was just one or two years ago, um, Steve Malkmus and, and his new band, The Jicks, or maybe not new, but his current band, The Jicks, um, were basically the band for his 50th birthday party uh, back in California. And then they even had Gary Young come out, and uh, he played drums <laughs> on a few songs. So uh, as much as, you know, the tensions and everything... Um, and even just like their demeanor on stage always seemed very cold to each other. I think deep down, uh, you know, they, they still probably all are, are friendly in, in some way, shape or form. Uh, so that's, they were nice supposed to, see. to play two European festival shows this year. And obviously it's not happening. Yeah. I think, uh, Primavera and Primavera uh, sounds Spain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's uh that's a shame too. I would I I, I will imagine that at, when we have live music come back the live music industry will need as many big name reunion tours as possible and we will probably see a pavement reunion tour. Talking heads, here's your chance. Right. <laughs> so, uh before we transition into Malcolm's solo stuff, what are we going to play here off of Terror Twilight? So I- I think we're going to play Folk Jam, which I think has a really um, nice little groove to it. And, uh, you know, even has, I think, like a little bit of banjo in it, which is kind of different from them. So uh, I feel like that's a good, good kind of different tune to to feature here. Yeah, Folk Jam's Indie Jam. Folk Jam sounds like Woods. Yeah, this is like a full preview of where Malcolmus is going to go for the next 20 years in a lot of cases, especially of late. So... Let's go ahead here. Let's listen to a little bit of folk jam. But if you enjoy the company of a descending family tree, well, 
tuck in your thoughts It's there or it's not sponsor here at Beyond the Pond, Section 119. Section 119 is a higher-end apparel company that started making suits in New York City and transitioned into a fully-fledged fish-dead apparel company through the Baker's Dozen when they started including the donut made famous by fish on a number of their sport coats as well as designer shirts. Bob and Greg met in 1.0 in Chicago in 96, hit a bunch of Alpine Deer Creek shows before they teamed up with a 3.0 noob, Jake, who they met on the lot and handles all their customer service, as well as Shiv, who is one of their designers. Total shows across the team is over 400, and they make really fantastic clothes that have been worn on stage by John Fishman. You might remember the Willin board shorts from the Mexico run here in 2020, as well as Mickey Hart wears their socks. And they have a custom jacket that's waiting for Bobby after COVID passes. With the current health pandemic that we are facing, it's running coronavirus. Section 119 has transitioned and have made their immediate attention on making masks. This allows them the opportunity to both help you as fans showcase your love for the music that you do love, while also instilling a mindset of a virtual hug, if you will. Hugs are huge, high fives are huge within our fan base, but obviously those are a huge part of the spread of the coronavirus. So instead, we've got masks showcase 
your Grateful Dead, and your fish love, and allow you to showcase to others your love within the overall community. We'd encourage all of our listeners to check out section119.com. Please know that during this time, every order that's processed, they're donating a mask to a community in need. They're working their way down a list of essential workers, homeless shelters, and rehabilitation centers, so you know that your purchase is going to good use. Beyond the Pond listeners have a special offer. If you go to section119.com, that's section119.com, enter the code BTP upon checkout, you'll get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's section119.com section119.com enter the code BTP upon checkout you get 20% off your first purchase and you know that that purchase is going to some good okay so as we had mentioned previously after Terror Twilight uh, the band basically sort of dissolved, and I think uh, there's a lot to be said as far as how that happened, but that's probably a, another story for another time. Um, but since Pavement's broken up, uh, Steve Malkmus has um, had a pretty big um, output continuing on for the last 20 years or so. And at this point, um, his output post-pavement is now longer and greater than his time with pavement. Um, and he's done that primarily with a backing band called the Jicks, uh, and they're sort of based out of Portland, Oregon. Um, and a good portion of this has not only been with the Jicks, but I know it's also continued with a lot of that sort of DIY element to it. Um, Malkmus on some tracks is playing a lot of different instruments himself. I know he noodles around a lot, like in his basement and stuff, um, initially with a lot of song ideas. So he, um, on some tracks is also playing the keyboards or using a drum machine. Um, he even at some point in one of his last albums gets into auto tune, which is a little <laughs> jarring at first, but, um, I think I've, I think it's a, I think I've grown to accept it. <laughs> um, and then also he, I think in some of these first few albums that we'll, we'll briefly touch on, um, he starts to have a lot of songs that kind of really start to eclipse that six to seven minute mark. Um, so a lot of his solo work often gets described as jammy. Um, so I think there's a lot of like space for these songs to sort of breathe and you can sort of hear his playing come out and, and the band really kind of groove and jam out more than just it being a, you know, this packaged uh, three minute song. Um, his playing, I think also becomes a lot more melodic uh, and a little bit, he, he kind of gets a little more straightforward. Um, I think it's around this time uh, in his solo career, you start to hear he abandons using a guitar pick and really just uses his fingers to um, allow his sound to kind of develop. And it has more of this sort of noodly guitar feel to it instead of like a choppier, um, you know, punk, you know, chords and, and guitar noise. Who plays guitar like Derek Trucks does? Yeah, it's he actually. Does, it's, like the fingers, yeah. 
it's it's kind of fascinating to watch and he's also got that like he's got that fender that basically uh i mean it's held it's literally held together by duct tape i don't know how that right. thing still still works but um he's clearly had it a very long time so um just kind of kicking off like his first two albums one's uh self-titled and then a second one is pig lib um i don't know if they're technically credited to uh the jicks themselves but i believe that is his backing band for both of those um and those are probably his most sort of pavement like in their sound um but then when you get to his third album called face the truth which came out in 2005 you can see where he starts to kind of deviate a bit more and starts to really develop kind of like a Steve Malkmus solo career sound that's that's different from Pavement. Um, Face the Truth is a lot more of that DIY. I think that one has a lot of songs where um, I think while members of the Jicks play on different tracks, there are probably a number of tracks where he's playing or did sort of every element of it, whether it's a drum machine and him playing bass and guitar and keyboards and all of that. Um, and I think that's where you start to kind of really, again, you see his his own sort of unique sound play through rather than it just sounding like, you know, kind of a little bit more of just sort of uh, an extension of pavement. I mean, I think the second record, Pig Lib, which I think is actually credited to the Jicks. I thought it was SM and the Jicks. I could be mistaken. That's, um, he kind of, the first four records, he sort of alternates between pop songs and long-winded jams, where it's kind of like the first record was more like pavement poppy. Pig Lib's got some songs around like eight and almost like 10 minutes. And then third record, Face the Truth, somewhat popular than album number four real emotional trash is practically like prog rock length that's like <laughs> his most jammy record he gets janet weiss from slater kinney on drums i mean that's a shaggy record it's great it's probably my favorite malcolm solo record just because he's such a fucking guitar hero on it i mean it's got baltimore that's a key Malcolm's track it's got something song out of reaches which is really tender. Um, that's, I think, I don't know if that album was reviewed quite as well as the first three, just because rock critics tend to get bored by like 10 minute guitar solos. But that's, uh, all four of those Malcolmus records are worth listening to. And yeah, there's more. I, yeah, there's a lot more. Uh, I think the the title track, Real Emotional Trash, on that that album there is a great jam kind of in the middle of that that you can get really lost. And I feel like it has like a 20 years later sort of feel where it's got that tempo. Um, but also just sort of, sort of has this like meandering, like feeling of it. Just, it just sort of chugs along in this, in this steady state. Um, but I, I love that jam right there. Yeah. It's an interesting decade for him because, we kind of get to this point midway through the 2000s where there suddenly is this nostalgia for pavement and for kind of 90s indie rock. And we start to see Matador release pavement records, uh, re re reissue them, I should say. And he's kind of searching for a sound that's going to 
you know, in some cases, not necessarily outlast pavement, but like allow him to continue playing music and really, you know, having a ton of creativity. And I, I, I agree real emotional trash feels like a really big turning point for me. And, um, it feels like where the Malcolmist that we know today, who's kind of a wizened uncle of indie rock and also like indie jam, you know, the kind of guy who can give an interview and name checks Garcia peoples, uh, just over a decade later, like it really means something that happens here on real emotional trash in a lot of ways. Um, and then we get to 2011's mirror traffic, which is a really interesting record that, um, I think kind of reminds me of Wowie Zowie. What do you guys think? Mirror traffic. Yes. That's the Beck album, right? Yes. So yeah, right. Beck okay. produced that one, and I think it's interesting because you go from real emotional trash, where you've got these longer songs, and I think Mirror Traffic, you've got a handful, if not a, you know, almost like half the songs are all like, you know, not even three minutes long. Like, it's like Beck didn't really i think really mess with or try and change too much of what malkmus does as much as he just sort of tried to say like all right let's cut it off there you know like he just tried to kind of like say like okay that's good i think we got what we need like we don't need to go on for another four minutes um so he kind of like really condenses it and keeps it out to um you know to like these shorter songs but it also kind of has like a um, you know, it kind of has this, like, like I think of the track spaz on there, which is, you know, it just kind of starts moving from like the very first second of it. And it's only two minutes and it just kind of starts. And then it just sort of ends out of nowhere too. Like it just sort of is just like this frenetic thing. And I feel like without Beck, helping produce it, it would have sounded totally different if Malkmus was sort of left up to his own devices. Yeah, that's the one Malkmus solo record that never quite clicked with me. I don't know why. I mean, it has a bunch of decent songs on it. I think some of the production, actually Beck's production is a little flat, a little kind of just like one guy in a room with an acoustic guitar type feel to it. But I think... Uh, I think PJ, when you and I saw him at one point, even though he wasn't touring behind that record, it still made up like three quarters of the set list. Yeah, it actually, I think he, I think he opened with Spaz too, which like was not expected at all. So then he's got two more, uh, two more albums with the Jicks. We got a Jad Bags in 2014, Sparkle Hard in 2018. Both excellent, both, uh, very fully realized, good diverse sound. I know on um, We Got in Jab Bags, it dabbles in classic rock. It's got the song Simmon and Lesbians, which is pretty close to Rip Off of St. Stephen, which is quite all right. Yes. The song on um, Sparkle Hard, there's a country song called Refute. It's just uh, a good tear in your beer duet with Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. That album also has bike lane and kite both of which are really awesome crot rock tributes there's a little bit of auto tune in the song rattler but it's um i think probably i mean sparkle hard easily my favorite malcolm solo record since real emotional trash in 2008 
But even more recently, he's been um, more active as a solo artist. Yeah, so he's put out um, basically now three records in three consecutive years. So from 2018 to even this year, um, he's had a record each year, which I think he hasn't really basically done since the 90s when he was, you know, basically flipping between pavement and then helping out on, you know, Silver Jews records. Um, so along with Sparkle Heart in 2018, uh, 2019 saw the release of an album called Groove Denied, which, uh, was kind of a project he'd been working on for probably over a decade. He wrote, recorded, and produced all of it. It's again, very, uh, very DIY with a lot of sort of electronics and, interesting noises and drum machines and um even when he toured on it he toured completely solo so it was almost like he basically had like a laptop and a guitar and that was basically uh touring on groove denied and the name i think is pretty funny it comes from i believe the fact that he um you know finally sort of completed this thing and put it together and delivered it to the label and they were like, yeah, we don't really see this. Uh, we don't really see this as the right time to release this. Uh, <laughs> so hence the name Groove Denied. Um, and they ended up pushing him to record and release Sparkle Hard first, which I think was probably the right move. But um, I think if you go back and even read interviews, he talks a little bit about how he's like, yeah, for this other album that I'd like to release, but... Um, we're doing this one now instead. So you can sort of hear him, <laughs> you know, sort of trying to jab at back at like, you know, Hey, I'd like to get this other thing out there. So uh, it was pretty cool that they, they finally got it out there last year. Yeah. And then here in 2020, he kind of marries like ideas from groove denied in some cases with ideas from sparkle hard and a solo record, traditional techniques, which, it's more of a folk rock record, uh, or psych folk, if you will. There's no jicks on this record, but it utilizes the dobro, the auto harp, and even a rabab, which is a Afghani-based instrument. This is like a much slower record. It's way more kind of cerebral than like what you would expect from a lot of Malcolmus. Doesn't really quite rock, uh, but it doesn't really have to. Um, it is is one of his best efforts to date. And honestly, like at this point in the year, um, I haven't made my list of my favorite records of the year yet. We're going to record our top five albums of the year thus far here pretty soon. Um, this is definitely up there. It's in my top five and it may be my first or second favorite record I've heard this year. Every time I hear it, there's a new sound that comes out of it. Uh, it really is in line with a lot of the um, kind of Ripley Johnson, Garcia Peoples, Chris Forsyth, Riley Walker type of stuff that I've just been fascinated by of late. Um, I love this record. I mean, you guys, are you guys, I'm, I'm guessing you guys are both fans of traditional techniques. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But yeah, absolutely. It's definitely uh, the first Malcolmus record that seems absolutely geared towards. Uh, 30, 40 something dad, you let the drink IPAs to chill out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of an edible and just like your, 
sitting on your back porch and everything is good on like a Wednesday night. Yeah, I think it's it I think your description of like it is it is one of those albums where I feel like I'm uh discovering something new and different about it with each listen and it's like that thing that then it like it's the thing that keeps it in the rotation, you know? Where like just when I think like oh I'm ready to sort of almost like move on from it uh another song or an idea that's in there like sure. really like really grabs hold of me and then I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to listen to that again tomorrow. And I like, I just keep putting it back on. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally, totally get that. Um, the other thing I would say, and, and just to kind of parallel this back to, to fish, I would say is to me, this almost feels like the period where, that like Trey is in, in terms of, you know, sort of artistically and creatively. So, you know, if you think about this same period of time between, you know, call it roughly 2018 to, to now, you know, you've got Malkmus doing three very different albums. All I think are, um, you know, pretty good. If not, most are, you know, two out of the three are excellent. And, you know, Trey at the same time has done, you know, Ghost of the Forest. Uh, they came up with Cosvote Voxed, um, you know, Sigma Oasis. You could say even like his playing in, you know, him suddenly, you know, bringing back Oysterhead. Like he's all over the place. It's sort of this varied works, um, you know, and at all times. It's like weird songs that he started writing uh, during quarantine as well, like where he's just like, yeah, I mean, it's just I think they both at this point in their careers um, just have so much range and so many different ideas and styles that they're capable of sort of inhabiting. Um, I just think it's really cool because it's like for me, it's, you know, two of my you know favorite artists are, you know, getting it sort of like, you know, certainly the back half of their careers. And yet they might be at, you know, as, as creative as they've ever been. So it's like the, the promise of, you know, more new music from both of them is just amazing. And, and just like, gosh, that is like, what couldn't be better than having some of your favorite artists be, you know, peaking creatively, um, at this time. Yeah. It kind of brings me back to something Dave was saying when we were talking about Crooked Rain, where that album sounds like classic rock. And I feel like where Malcolmus is now, like anyone who has aged with the work of pavement, anyone who has aged with Malcolmus, they get to be in this really cool period where like, if you're a songwriter who keeps writing songs and keeps crafting out records, um, you know, it's kind of like what, our parents experienced watching 60s, 70s classic rock bands evolve and have these, you know, like Neil Young immediately comes to mind who has this great period in the 70s, goes through kind of like a drifting period. And then like in the 1990s, uh, 20 years after anyone thought he would be, you know, finished making really great music, uh, he's like, suddenly in this new career burst and like this creative burst and all this stuff that he's touching is, uh, really fascinating. And you wouldn't get that had he not been working and, you know, spending the last 15 years crafting out records. Gentlemen, are we going to lead out with four Malcolm solo songs that we had, had, 
what we had discussed doing. Yeah, so we kind of wanted to give an overview of um, kind of Malcolmus's solo career for anyone who is curious from a listening standpoint. There's really great stuff in here. Um, PJ, as our guest, do you want to give us kind of a rundown of what songs we're going to feature here? And Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, before I do that, um, just want to say thank you guys to to both of you for uh for having me on here this has been so much fun i know yeah uh, man yeah i know dave when you first started talking about even like the idea of this podcast and and what you guys are doing i was like oh you guys gotta cover pavement at some point so i'm glad (laughs) i got i'm glad i got to be part of that episode that uh that finally did that so appreciate you guys uh holding off and and letting me letting me do that one with you so well i'm glad um, we held off because we wouldn't have had the last three records to talk about if we had. that's true too (laughs) very true so i'm thinking as far as the four that we lead off or or sort of head off into the sunset with would be uh certainly baltimore um i think cinnamon and lesbians which is a, a great tune um and sort of ushers in more of the current sound of his um we gotta play kite which i think uh the groove in that as i've as i've texted dave many times randomly uh i want to live inside that wah-wah pedal (laughs) i could just hear that on a loop for the rest of my life it is so cool um and then i think from this last uh album from traditional techniques we should do shadow band which i think is a yeah. great yeah great that's a good song call. um and is actually one that's like hypnotic and uh is my latest uh obsession right now well let's go ahead and let's do that pj you are welcome on the pod anytime thank you for uh all the work you did preparing for this this was such a great conversation and i'm so glad we were able to dedicate this much time to pavement and to our listeners um, we will see you guys in a couple of weeks here with another great episode, but we hope that you guys, no matter if you are big time pavement fans and, you know, kind of, uh, enjoy all the B sides and kind of go deep with the band, or if you were kind of discovering them for the first time here through this episode, we hope that you got something out of it. We hope that you, uh, enjoy, uh, these songs that we're going to play here from Alchemist's solo career. Seriously, if you gotten this far. Thank you very much. Pat yourself on the back. We hope we have not tortured you too much with our description of Pavement and Steve Malcolmus. And now, as always, I'm just going to take us out. Come back probably in two weeks. We will go beyond the pond. Come on like gangbusters laying in a boreal stack lost in the sticks It's warm for a witch trial, don't you agree? Cold of the hands that would ever touch me You got the energy of a classic creep With sex vibe for miles and shark eyes asleep no intuition, no need to sleuth Poor is the man who would sully my youth 
song undeveloped beyond the first bar for all of your hustle what did you win woe is the man with the cheshire cat
Osiris Media it is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman. Ooh. 